You are listening to episode 254 of Game Deflators Podcast. My name is John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators Podcast. We like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we creep quietly into Spooky Month in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. I like it. Every week, something new. Every week. Every week. So uh, we played Silent Hill 2 for today's Inflation Deflation Challenge, kicking off Spooky Month, Ryan's favorite month of the year for the Game of Players podcast. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, have five games lined up that we'll be playing throughout all of October, and uh, you all get to hear us talk about it and the spookiness that comes with it. And you guys will have to guess if we actually picked out five games or if we're just flying by the seat of our pants. We actually picked up five <laughs> games. <laughs> so this time we're prepared. Uh, all right. Well, you can find the Game Deflators podcast on thegamedeflators.com, our out-of-date, sometimes up-to-date website. You can find us on YouTube. Just search up The Game Deflators on YouTube. Facebook, at The Game Deflators. That's the same for Instagram. And then on X, I'm just going to call it X, even though it's not Twitter anymore. Uh, you can find us at Game Deflators. Don't have a Threads yet. Got to get a Threads. Um, I think that's it. Oh, and the podcast app you're listening to right now. Leave us a five-star review. And if uh, you're on another podcast app, put one on there. And one on another. And another. We appreciate it. All the five-star <laughs> reviews. All right. Let's get started with our recent pickups. So, same thing as prior weeks. Magic cards. Getting lots of magic cards. Uh, I also picked up the, well, I talked about it when we had uh, Darren on last week. So if you didn't catch that episode, uh, Darren Hupke, who is a 32-bit library, he joined us last week. So catch that episode. If you're on here now and you didn't catch episode 253, it's a fun episode. Uh, but I also picked up Fandelver Shattered, Shattered Obelisk. So that was the one that I talked about last week that I was like, hey, I just bought it. It finally came in. Beautiful cover, dude. Like, it, it's got, so the covers that, wizards was doing for a while were kind of like this matte finish or satin finish yeah. that was on there this is more of like the old high gloss finish but it's just like this crazy cool design with like green skulls kind of going all over the place it's really cool looking so i'm pretty impressed it kind of reminds me of like swamp thing actually mm. so i really like the cover and uh, i'm gonna dive into that it's a continuation and a remake actually of the 5e um, starter campaign that we ran with you a long time ago where we went into the city of, I think it's Fandolin, technically, is the city. Lost Minds of Fandelver. Yeah, well, it's Fandelver, yeah. So whatever we did with you, where we got to level 5, this is a continuation that gets to group up to, I think, level 15. Cool. Um, but you can continue, you can play that campaign over in a remastered type of setting, I guess, and then it continues on into the, the remaining portion of it. Intriguing. So, yeah, definitely uh, might be worth playing at some point. Uh, and as far as what I am playing, my wife and I, I think I brought it up last week, but if not, we're playing Last of Us. Uh, we had played it for a while, and then we finally just figured out a way to carve out some more time to play some games together. And uh, we are currently in Jackson, which is where you have Tommy and Ellie runs away. And you have to go find Ellie on horses, and we're in that whole scene right now. So honestly, we're probably about... I think it's like 80% through the game. It's pretty far. There's only a few more chapters to go in that game, and uh, and we'll have a beat and then move on to the next thing. 
Uh, I'm also playing MTG Arena still, so practicing as much as I can on arenas. Uh, really just getting used to the new meta and things that are in there. It's actually pretty cool. All the wilds, or not wilds, all of the, uh, yeah, it's wilds of Eldraine. All the wilds of Eldraine stuff that's been released has like completely revamped the meta in totally different directions, which is fantastic. In my favor, Mono Red has become disgusting. So I played a tournament this past Friday. Uh, we're recording on Sunday, obviously. And I got first place in the tournament with my Mono Red. So nice. it's quite nice. Uh, got my store credit. And then I also picked up um, the promo that they give us. They have like promo cards that they kind of lay out. And we get to pick one promo. Uh, I ended up getting a Cityscape Leveler, which is like a $20 promo card. Nice. So not too bad. And then I'm still playing White Knight Chronicles. I am at... I got through, it was like the, this chasm with like this giant worm type creature. Uh, so I got past the chasm, the first part. Then we end up in a place of like bunny-eared people, which is very reminiscent of Final Fantasy eleven. I think it is, that has the bunny-eared people. Yeah. 12 has them. 12 does as well. But I think it started in eleven. I want to say. Could be. Yeah. So either way, it's very reminiscent of that. And I think it's like... Bakia or something and they're it's actually kind of a funny scene so you when you're in the chasm you actually like rescue one of the bunny eared characters and he runs off does this whole thing you continue on through this chasm and then you get captured by the people of I think it's Bakia is how you pronounce it and they're just like alright the punishment is death you're just like what the hell like what's going on and they put everybody on stakes and they're like alright you see this giant thing, they roll in like this giant ball, and they're like, is that what we think it is? And we're like, yeah, that's a bomb. And he's like, all right, off in the distance, we're doing a test demolition. And he's like, five, four, and then it blows up on that point. He's like, starts screaming like, I didn't get down to one. It ruined it, and all this other crazy stuff. And as they're about to kill you, the other bunny character comes out. And he's like, no, no, they helped save me, blah, blah, blah. And all of these characters um, of the bunny people are like, oh, we thought you were dead. Like, they just had, like, no hope for this little bunny character. And so, uh, yeah, so that all concludes there. And then uh, I ended up going into, now it's the second part of the chasm. So there's, like, east and west. And once I finish with that, I'm, like, maybe four or five chapters, I'm done. Or four or five areas. And then I'm finished with the game. So I'm close to finishing both that and Last of Us. I don't know what I'll play next. But I don't think it'll be an RPG. It'll probably well, be something... Mario comes out. That's what month, I was right? thinking, actually. Yeah, I might pick up Mario Wonder since it is going to be a day one for me. And uh, I might play Mario Wonder instead. That'd be a good one for my wife and I to, after Last of Us, pick that up and play. And uh, I think we'll have a good time with that one. Yeah, nice, nice. So, yeah. I look forward to seeing it. Is it towards the end of the month? October 20th. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, a few more visits down the road. Yep. Um, for me, not a whole lot going on this week. I did manage to squeeze in, like, I don't know, another two or three hours of Starfield throughout the week. And still just not really grabbing me. I tried to go in and do some more ship stuff. And, I mean, I just didn't really have the money to do a whole lot with it right now. Um, I tried doing some missions and going down the Freestar Ranger uh, path. And... I don't know. I've done a couple of missions. They're like multi-layered where you have to go to more different places. But I went to another one of the major settlements, which is Neon. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I obviously didn't explore the whole city or anything. But like 
in comparison to the other like major city that I've been to. I know that this is supposed to be another one and it's just like vastly more disappointing and limiting in ways that I, I, I don't know. It's, you're kind of on like a big oil rig. So it feels all like internal and I mean, you can see the waves and stuff. It's kind of cool. It kind of has like a, uh, what is it, Camino from Star Wars where it's like all oceany and crazy. And it's like, it feels like that outside. But it's just, you know, might as well be a big vault for, you know, all the difference you get out of it. It's not like really a big open city like New Atlantis comes off as. So, you know, I don't know. I'll go back and explore around a little bit more, but I don't know how much legs I'm going to have with Starfield, honestly. Um, I, I really do need to finish <laughs> the podcast games, but I don't really know what I'll be looking at next after that because it probably won't be really coming back and investing tons and tons of time into Starfield. I mean, Cyberpunk looks pretty good, and now that they've got all the patches and stuff out, that could be something fun to finally jump into for the first time, but... I don't know. I'll try to uh, maybe leave Starfield alone and stop trying to force my way through it. Because I just figure that if I drop it, it's going to be a long time before I come back to it. But maybe that's what it needs. You know, it'll always be available on Game Pass. Well, always. Well, it'll could. be available on Game Pass for a quite some time, giving me an opportunity to come back to it. Yeah. Yep, that's how it is with digital games. You never know when they're just going to be like, yeah, we're going to get rid of this now, and physical copies, go buy them. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. Cool. Well, uh, I look forward to you beating the darkness. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, we might have. I mean, there was no 100-degree days this week, but we might There's have There's always one. like one more week that pops up that winds up being really hot. Yeah, but i got to figure out punishment for not finishing it. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to figure it out. All right, well, let's go into uh, our discussion topic, which is uh, Jim Ryan retiring and Hideki Kamiya also, or Kamiya, yeah, uh, leaving Platinum Games. So um, some big names retiring and, you know, uh, for me, you know, I mean, it is what it is, right? Like people are going to leave the industry over time. I mean, Jim Ryan, he's been there for like, what, 30 years or something like that, 20 or 30 years with Sony? Yeah, he started like, a few months before the PlayStation launched. Yeah. So, so he, he's been there for the entire like span of the PlayStation console being out as a thing. So, I mean, that's somebody that, you know, <laughs> we might not agree with or, you know, really understand a lot of the insight and things that he may have done for the industry. But, like, he was definitely a shape and a force in the industry. And, you know, things would be very different, likely, if there was somebody else in charge for any stretch of that amount of time. Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree. I mean, he definitely has shaped the industry, and it's going to be interesting not having him at the helm there. But at the same time, change is good, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's been there since literally the 90s. Yeah. And so getting somebody in there to, uh, you know, with new ideas for Sony and, uh, you know, maybe some new forward thinking as far as, like, acquisitions and things that they want to look forward towards, uh, I think it's good. I think Sony needs that. And yeah, I think it's a positive outlook for the future. Yeah. Could I go bad, but you know, yeah. I, I doubt it. Well, you know, it's publicly run company. 
you know, they're not going to put in somebody that doesn't have experience. Well, no, but I mean, there is always the chance they just put in a CEO who's there for a CEO job and not necessarily vested in the games industry as, you know, what it, we would like it to mean. Like, it's very rare that you get somebody, you know, like a Reggie who's like all in or like Phil Spencer. I mean, he's definitely all in on Xbox. And, you know, when somebody comes off, a, it, even if it's not 100% true, because it's never going to be 100% what you think or what is necessarily even going to be good for the company to hire somebody as. But you want somebody who, you know, feels like they're a part of that and wants what's best for that industry and not somebody who's just there to drive up prices. Well, you know, considering that, I, I don't think Sony will pull somebody from outside of a gaming industry. However, sometimes that is good to pull somebody from outside because they can provide a different perspective uh, in, in that leadership. But as far Bobby as... Bobby Kotick. <laughs> I, yeah, right. <laughs> like a phoenix rising from the ashes. Uh, no, I mean, I could see... It'd be interesting if Reggie came in. Yeah. You know, can but think about that. Like, if they're like, Reggie, we're going to make you CEO. Like... That'd be pretty interesting to see some like bring in. I don't even in, know where he's at these days. I don't know. He was a GameStop for a while, and then he was doing his own thing. I don't know. He's he's going on the world tour. But Reggie'd be interesting um, if somebody like him came in, or I could see like a major, major publisher. I'm not saying EA, but you know, like Take Two and other companies, like somebody coming in from that realm. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see long term. Uh, the other guy here is uh, Hideki Kamiya, right? And he was the creator of Bayonetta. Yeah, he's done a bunch of stuff. I mean, he's going to keep going on. Like, this feels more like a Switch, like Kojima did. Yeah. You know, that. just kind of getting out from being under somebody else's thumb and going off to do your own thing. And he'll probably sell that for, you know, a few, you know, <laughs> however much. I don't know how much you would sell for, but probably make a tidy profit whenever he is ready to move on and do something like it's just it's interesting that both of these were coming out at the same time and i know you know people leave the industry all the time and stuff but some of the big creators that we all know and have been following for a long time i mean some of those careers are definitely getting on and you know i feel like a lot of game creators probably have the drive to do game creation for a long time and as that industry continues to age and we see how new technologies get developed, like how that will change the industry. Because, you know, if people could just make an AI game by themselves, you know, it'll probably free up a lot of people to make games and stuff. But, um, you know, just as the industry changes, you know, new people come in and we'll start to see some of these big shoes being filled by new people and, you know, other people go on to either leave entirely or you know, do their own independent thing. So it is interesting to see, you know, a lot of these big changes coming up. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is like, it feels like a first wave in a sense, right? Like you don't really hear about it too much publicly, but you know, as you're right, like as a lot of these developers that have been in the industry for years, they're either going to move on or they're going to do their own thing, whatever it may be. It kind of reminds me of like Miyazaki in a way, right? Like the guy has retired like five, 10 times already, <laughs> you know, but he keeps coming back to do his last film. I could see that being a thing with a lot of these older developers and, you know, like your, your Hideo Kojima is like coming in and saying, Oh yeah, it's my last game. Like five, 10 times. Right. Right. Uh, but I think, but it does take a lot longer nowadays to make a game than, you know, it does a 
an animated film, obviously. All right. We had heard speculation about like Todd Howard, like he's probably got, you know, like one more fallout that he'll do. But I mean, will that be, you know, definitely after uh, you know, Elder Scrolls Six and Starfield Two and you know, like how many things are gonna come out before then? Well, so that's a good point. It's like when folks like that leave the industry and the legacy they left behind, right? So you have Fallout, you've got Starfield now, you've got all of these games that Activision Blizzard has created over the years with him, you know, at the helm of that. When he goes, what, or no, sorry, Bethesda, yeah. When he goes, um, what happens in terms of quality of those games, right? Does that go down? Because like we saw with Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid, the quality of those games shot down dramatically once Kojima left. And now they're like, oh, we're going to remake number three. There's a reason that that type of stuff is getting remade because it was quality games. Uh, the newest stuff that's come out has, has not been as good. So I could see games like that, like Fallout down the road, not being as good, you know, because somebody like Todd Howard is no longer there. And the same thing for maybe another Starfield down the road or other video games mm-hmm. that Bethesda has released. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, but I definitely want to see what uh, Kamiya makes moving down the road. And um, exciting times overall. So diving into articles this week. Uh, PlayStation Portal. We all kind of laughed at it, but pre-orders have reportedly been sold out in Japan across all retailers. And this is uh, David Karakul. Karakul? I can't Carcassel? read. Dude, I cannot, like... I need new glasses, I think. At PlayStation Universe, like, for people listening, I've got, like, the screen blown up. And I can see, like, the next one and the next one, but, like, certain things blend. So, yeah, that didn't help. Uh, but either way, PlayStation Portal is sold out across multiple retailers in terms of pre-orders. And I'm surprised, to be honest. I mean, that's the thing that the article kind of outlines is we may all be surprised. Like, they may not have made very many. We don't know what kind of numbers this is actually going to turn into. We don't know how well it'll sell over here, you know, in our market. You know, Japan has a very different market. You know, may, you may not have all the the screens and space, so having, you know, a portable option might make more sense, whereas here you may have, you know, multiple rooms with multiple TVs and you know, it's not that big a deal having to share a system at a certain location. But no matter how you look at it, it is something that, you know, they will probably be happy with that result if they sold out of all the pre-orders. You know, they're meeting whatever kind of quota they were expecting. Um, I, I guess we'll see. Well, you know, part of that too, to your point, right? Like, depending on the country, Japan, yeah, very big into handheld-based consoles and games or gaming systems. So... I could see why this would sold out there or sell out there Um, in terms of the U.S. market. To your point, yeah, tons of screens all over the place. And it could very well be that down the road, Sony looks at something like this. Maybe there's like an initial wave in the U.S. that either sells or it doesn't. And maybe we see that it doesn't sell very well. It gets discounted, but it sells like gangbusters in Japan. And we start seeing things like this become, you know, country exclusive i mean i know they've done things like that in the past for certain like older systems where like certain items just don't release in the u.s because mm-hmm. they don't think that that market is going to to utilize it and this honestly this probably is going to be a very similar situation right if they don't see that pre-orders are doing too well right now in the u.s then yeah they may just be like hey limited release in the u.s and 
we'll scrap it or we'll kind of put more demand like we've done with the PlayStation 5 and 4 in the past of like, you know, a few here and there at a time to create that demand and actually get people interested in purchasing the product. I could see that happening as well. Mm -hmm. But overall, this isn't something that I'm going to buy. You know, if I do, it's going to be at a discounted rate. I don't really have a need for it necessarily. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's where I stand with it. Yeah, uh, not something that I would be purchasing at any point in time, I don't believe, either. Uh, We'll see if people can somehow hack it and do things with it. If they could do that, then it'll be very interesting and kind of a whole different game. I mean, nobody was really interested in the PlayStation TV, but it's something that's, you know, worth a lot of money now. Like, there was a time where those were, like, bargain bin. Yeah, and actually, that's the one that I was looking at for a while, too. I think it was a 3D TV, right, that was released with the PlayStation 3? No, uh, PlayStation TV was like the... Oh, you're talking about the box ...accessory thing. that you could use and play, like, PSP and PSV right. games and stuff. But see, they also released a Sony TV that specifically, like, it was a 3D TV that was, like, PlayStation-specific. Mm. And that was something I was looking at years ago, but it had very poor reviews back then. And that actually goes for quite a bit nowadays. Yeah, those 3D TVs never really caught on too No, much. dude, I I was actually really interested in 3D TVs, but you know, the tech wasn't 100% there. Like things needed to catch up. And now we're in VR, right? So, like, do you really need 3D if you've got VR? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, as far as the next thing that's about Sony, uh, all of their systems apparently were hacked by a new ransomware group. And this is uh, Levi Win- Winslow at Kotaku. So, uh, I don't know if you have the name of the group up hand. I think it's like ransomware. Ransom.vc, yeah, ransom. I believe is what it is. So basically, they're considered, from what I was reading, they're like a ransomware for hire type of deal. Um, so they do several things. One of them is they can they stay within the law in certain instances where they actually get hired out to hack systems of different companies and then pull whatever you know information they can at a fee, right? So that's what they do. And then they also have this illegal black market type deal going on too. So apparently they hacked Sony and it's like 3.12 gigabytes of data from Sony with 6,000 different files. Uh, I sent you in our Discord, if you go to it, there's a list of what was actually put up. Uh, but basically, um, I forget the name of the actual person. It'll it'll be in what I shared with you. So if you want yeah, to read Yeah, Major that. Nelson also called ransomed VCs scammers who are just trying to scam you and chase influence. They then leaked for free a sample of the data via 2.4 gig compressed file containing 3.14 gig of Sony data. Uh, Claims stolen data contained, among other things, a lot of credentials for online systems, Sonar Cube, Creators Cloud, Sony certificates, a device emulator for generating licenses, uh, CASOP security, and incident response policies. So that's apparently what was released how pertinent that is to Sony right now, who knows? I mean, they may have already said, oh, we were hacked. We're going to investigate. We know what you hacked and what you took based on whatever security protocol we have internally. So here's what we're going to do, right? Like, so I don't, I don't think Sony really gives a damn, to be honest. Like this, this organization or this hacking group pretty much said, hey, Sony, you know, we want whatever amount of money via ransomware. And then they came around and said, well, it's now for sale because we know Sony's not going to pay. But if it doesn't get, you know, if nobody purchases it by the 28th, we're going to release it for free. It got released for free. Like nobody gives a shit. Like there's nothing pertinent here. But I think 
the key thing to recognize is that Sony, again, got hacked. So that just shows issues within their own securities. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not a good thing to have your name touted around in an insecure, you know, kind of environment. It could have led to a lot bigger things. I mean, who knows? We probably still won't know really for a while exactly what the ramifications are or what exactly was released in this. But, you know, maybe we'll get some cool snippets. I mean, that Xbox release recently was like one of the biggest leaks in gaming in years. So, I mean, anything could happen. But yeah, it seems like at least for now, this is all kind of settled and didn't really turn into much. Yeah, so far, I mean, it's like a few days old. I mean, this type of stuff could, like you said, take a little bit to kind of go through and, and become an issue for Sony. Or it could just be like, old files that weren't fully secured because it didn't really matter to them, right? Like this wasn't something super high protocol or, or, you know, a huge security risk for the organization. The other thing that is noted is that pretty much everything that was taken was all in Japanese. Mm. So, I mean, now you, you're trying to sell all of this data to people, right? Who then have to trans like translate the, the Japanese to English or whatever language and on top of that, there's no, like, direct translation, mm-hmm. right? So, like, you can have all... It's kanji, right, for Japanese? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could have all this kanji and everything that's kind of put into this document, and it's spit out, and it makes no damn sense whatsoever. So, mm-hmm. is it good data? Not really. Yeah, that, that's my opinion on it. But long-term, we might find out. Uh, as far as the rest of the industry is concerned, a couple other big things coming up here that we'll talk about. Uh, first is Fortnite maker Epic Games is laying off 16% of its workforce, impacting 870 people. And this is TechCrunch. Um, that is, is it Aisha? Mike? I, I do. Aisha I, Malik? Aisha Malik. There we I go. I believe, yeah. I need to like increase the size here for sure. Yeah. yeah. So and get my new glasses. This is, you know, another unfortunate round of layoffs uh you know trying to save the bottom lines of these companies at the cost of the workforce and this is huge i mean 16 percent, 870 people that's like a ton of people and this is epic so they really only have you know a handful of games that they're doing but a lot of that action is Fortnite, and i guess there's a, a couple other companies that were laid out there too or some other entities that they own but you know Talents at a premium and the dip in the market for live services games is, you know, going down pretty steadily. There's been a lot of cancellations, especially recently, of some pretty high profile uh, games in that genre. But, you know, Fortnite's always kind of touted as this, you know, money generating machine, but I guess not. I mean, if you can lay off 870 people and that's only 16% of your workforce. I mean, you got a lot of uh, Fortnite people there. So I'm guessing that they're just integrating new systems. Things are becoming redundant. You know, they're trying to save their profits. So they're probably just deciding, you know, we can move forward without these whole teams of people. Um, You know, whatever it is that they're, you know, not afraid to lose. And they can always, you know, come back and try to get new talent again in the future because I think that they had already tried to exercise like hiring freezes and, and doing other things to try to stave off this but it seemed like it was just an inevitability yeah it said in the article that they um, they had acquired a company a while back and they I guess they're shuttering that one that one's gone and then there's something else they were cutting uh, out as well or reducing uh, and then they did try like you said other measures so they tried to cut marketing budgets they tried to cut the amount of events that they're going to uh, this was 
for them in a sense a last resort right but i guess they didn't consider you know cutting the ceo's uh mm-hmm. salary down or anything along those lines um so yeah i mean i i get it but at the same time it's like come on like you know when you acquire these companies and you start and you do your budget throughout the course of or you know towards the end of a year for next year pretty much know like if you're going to spend too much or too little like you can forecast how much revenue you're going to make based on the recurring revenue like unless there's a major dip um in your sales you're generally going to be pretty close right with with your estimates at the end of your quarter or your last quarter so very very sad situation overall and it sucks um but I mean, there's not much you can do. And, you know, a lot of these folks are most likely going to go to other developers that are in need of experience or some of them might make their own, you know, company, mm-hmm. you know, which is always good, too, in terms of indie games coming out. So there's a lot of talented developers that are obviously let go and move on to other things. I will say, too, that I don't think they cut out like only that they tried to like they have their core team and then they have like other areas like yeah. marketing and such. So sounded to me based on what I was reading is that two-thirds of it was like outside of the core team mm-hmm. so they really tried to make sure that they were cutting like you know trimming the fat basically yeah in terms of the organization and um the one quote that i saw in there was you know we were spending more money than we were making we kind of had to do this you know and as a public i think they're public as well right Epic? See, that's a classic mistake business yeah. owners this is one-on-one stuff you got to make more money than, than, you than spend. what you spend that's yeah. called profit yeah exactly so they obviously weren't turning a profit there uh what was the other thing that came of it oh um they obviously need the money now too to fight their legal battle of apple so apparently mm. they're reopening that or they're trying to they're going to supreme court uh to try and reopen that whole situation against like google and apple and their monopolies essentially uh with their app stores i almost forgot about that yeah right so that's tied in there too and they're looking if that opens up there's gonna be a lot of legal fees that are tied from it so that could be part of it you know they're cutting costs knowing that they're gonna have a lot of legal fees coming up down the road we don't even have the ftc reopening their thing in this week's news yeah, and actually, and that's, that's right. another thing. <laughs> they did and too. the Switch 2 rumors are all back. John, it's all of the worst things that we had to talk about for like over a year at a time, all culminating in one. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy. There was a lot of news. Like, it is we, spooky month. We, we <laughs> Back were, from the dead. When Ryan and I were reviewing this week's articles and such, we want to talk about it. It's like, man, there's a lot of news out there. Yeah. Like, not good news. It's just news. All right. Well, all this right. last one's like not horrible news. So, Voight... <laughs> voice actors vote overwhelmingly to approve a strike it's time for the video game companies to stop playing games but but then it's not a video game company uh so this is pc gamer andy and, chalk andy chalk which we've done before uh yeah so sag aftra right is mm-hmm. that how you pronounce it yeah so they pretty much voted uh there's a whole um agreement that they have with the gaming companies and such for voice actors that started in 2017 it ended in 2020 uh, but they were able to extend it to 2022, which I don't know why we're talking about in 2023. If it ended November of 2022, it's kind of weird to me, but I guess that's what happens. Uh, so basically, they're not on strike yet, but there's a possibility that they do go on strikes. So what they voted for is to enter that renegotiation right for those rights of those voice actors within the gaming companies. And there's a ton of them. Like Take Two is on there. I think I want to say Epic is on there. Warner Brothers. It's going to be like all the big people. Anybody who ones. needs voices. Yeah, pretty much all of the bigger companies that need voices that's who's been i guess served in a sense right uh what's happening uh so yeah i mean it, this sucks right because we've already seen 
people not making money because of the writer's strike and everything going on there and the lack of things that are coming out because of that. And if this happens in video games, I mean... I mean, the thing is, though, like, but those is, companies, they could just wait. I mean, yeah. even if you're making a new game now, you could probably do the voice like one of the last things. Like, you probably don't need to... You have years of work before you even yeah. get to that point. But as far as, like, any games that are, like in the pipeline that maybe don't have things done or whatever, you know, this could be serious for them because in today's day and age, you expect a lot of voiced lines in a game. I mean, smaller games get away with it or like, you know, even final fantasy 16 didn't have voicing for everything. They were kind of like, you know, here's voice and like full video. Here's like voice, but it's character models. Here's no voice. It's just reading. Well, you know, what about like, actors that are not part of SAG, right? Like they just say, well, okay, screw it. Like, well, I, I'll yeah, voice, I mean, anybody you know? could hire scabs, but yeah, like I mean, that's not the, if I'll you're do doing <laughs> that thing, you're not really negotiating with the actual actors that are on strike. No, you're not exactly. But like, if you're, if there's people out there like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, you know, I'm a voice actor. Or I don't have experience, but I want a voice. Like it does make a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, Maybe we could get somebody. I mean, you definitely know some people. Maybe we could try to find somebody who can. I reached out to somebody already who I know is a member. I mean, I think everybody that I know is a member of SAG. So I, I did reach out to one person in particular who I think would be a very good voice on this. We'll, we'll see if uh, if they reach back out to us. Um, but yeah. So, but overall, I think to your point, right? These games that are like, hey, we're starting it right now, development. We're talking three, four years down the road for some of these bigger like AAA games. So it it's not really going to affect the gaming industry as much in the long term. But like in the short term for groups that are needing voices, it could be an issue in regard to that. Nintendo, however, is like laughing to the bank because now we know why they don't have voices. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're just like, we'll just put this tape of Charles Marnay saying, you know, it's a me multiple times. And, and that's it. So, so Nintendo's covered. Moving well, forward. I mean, Nintendo's also a Japanese company. Sag after is like a U.S. thing. True, but they do bring in American voice actors for things on games that are Japanese that require translations for Western release. Localization. Yeah. So localization-wise, <laughs> we're probably going to get like some French we're guy with all like all of this wrong. <laughs> yeah, some French guy with like bad English on there is just going to hop on, and that's going to be your English translation. You know. <laughs> That would that'd be interesting. Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, dive in. There, there's John. <laughs> the look that you just gave me. You're like, there's John spouting shit off on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> the game. The, the we... look of disappointment. <laughs> that's not even one of my worst ones. This was great about it. I'm like, we love the French. Like, that's no big deal. My last name is French. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So there's no issue. I got a French guy on the podcast. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I have a French friend. Yeah, French friend. Okay. <laughs> I'm not even going to go Anyways, to today we're playing uh, Silent Hill 2 for the Inflation Deflation Challenge. This is developed by the legendary Team Silent from... Publisher Konami, uh, director by uh, Masashi by. Uh, Subayama, released in September 2001. So we just crossed its birthday right there at the end of September. Uh, it is a survival horror game. 
has really good ratings, you know, anywhere from like a seven to a nine, definitely leaning towards the higher end. I've often heard many people tout this as one of the best horror games of all time, or at least one of their most memorable horror experiences in gaming. So the overall synopsis for this game is James Sunderland has arrived at the town of Silent Hill uh, in Maine. And actually, he doesn't arrive at Silent Hill. He arrives somewhere outside of it. So this is all, this is all incorrect. <laughs> it's a summary, John. It's a summary, I know. But he didn't arrive there. He, he went after he arrived somewhere else. So he arrives there after receiving a letter from his wife, Mary, uh, who is a very important person, mind you, uh, despite the fact that she suffered from a terminal disease and died three years prior. He explores the town of Silent Hills, or Silent Hill. Why does this say Hills? Silent Hill, encountering all types of horror in search of answers. Uh, that I don't know if you put that on purpose or that was just the wiki was screwing me over. Uh, a little bit of both, probably. Probably, yeah. Uh, Ryan, not spell checking the wiki. Okay, so this game, I mean, we've all played Silent Hill. We played Silent Hill one a while back. I, I don't know if it was for Spooky Month or, or not, but. This game in general has always been a classic um, in terms of the Silent Hill franchise. Uh, as we said, you go into Silent Hill and you know you have your creepy crawlies that are coming out from nowhere um, as you kind of explore the, the foggy areas. And you know, Ryan, if you want to kind of go over your experience with, I guess the game as a whole that we played yeah. a little bit. I mean, we got actually pretty far as far as like a Silent Hill entry is. So you know. This Counted. reminded me a lot of my first attempt to try Silent Hill 1. Um, you know, this legendary title I've heard a lot about. Uh, we were actually playing, like, the HD collection version. Um, With original voice actors, though. Uh, which I just realized, I think I just got the regular PS2 version for the stats. <laughs> I don't think I did the PlayStation 3 one. That's fine. I mean, we can you can pull up both when we're... When yeah, start so anyways... I know that there's a lot to these games. It's got like a very psychological horror element to it. Um, you know, it's supposed to be something that really sticks with you and makes you think. And it's hard to get that out of, you know, the first like 30, 40 minutes of it. It's a lot of just kind of awkwardly running around in fog and not really having any idea where you're going. Uh, we did decide to use a guide from the beginning of this one just so that we didn't kind of do that running around in the fog, not having any idea where to go kind of thing that you probably would have done. Like definitely being a kid, playing on the PS2, having this be one of the best looking games of the time bundled up at night. Like, yeah, there was definitely some stuff here that could get you and uh, probably get you pretty good and, you know, give you those big memories. But for us on, you know, a Sunday, early afternoon, sitting in, you know, the living room on the couch together baby monitor going but you know with a child song which may have added a little extra level of creep it did, yeah yeah <laughs> but you know i just didn't feel that impact and i, I want to give this game the benefit of the doubt because of the legacy that it has but yeah just running around in fog you know some enemies that don't even really seem like they're really that dangerous to deal with you could just kind of run around or try to awkwardly hit them with a stick uh, trying to steer is infinitely hard. Like you're driving the character on like a slippery road or something. It's very weird to try to get places. And there was a lot of stuttering. I had read a little bit that the um, HD remake, not everybody's favorite. So 
You know, there's a couple of different factors here that probably impacted, you know, our playing of it, especially because neither of us really has that nostalgia. Well, I mean, I've, I've played other Silent Hill games. You know, this wouldn't be my first, like, foray into Silent but Hill. But this game. But this game in particular, yeah, I hadn't touched this one before. So this was kind of like my first, like, introduction to it. And, you know, I got to say, like, having played... I haven't beat Silent Hill 1, but I've gone through quite a bit of Silent Hill 1. And I would say for me, if I had to... If I had to say, hey, you know, here's the first... We played, like, 45 minutes, I think, uh, going through. And we got pretty decently far. But... If you were to say, hey, John, here's 45 minutes of Silent Hill 1, here's 45 minutes of Silent Hill 2, putting them both together after you've played that period of time, which one would you want to continue with? I would absolutely want to continue with 1 before I would want to continue with 2. Um, you know, long term in the game, yeah, it's probably a better story. And graphically, it's definitely up there in comparison. But, I, you know, there's just something about 1 that, to me, just feels better. Uh, and honestly, I think the controls are better on 1 if I had to, you know, be nitpicky on it. Uh, but this one, you know, similar encounter um, to Ryan. You know, the, the controls are, are pretty rough. Um, on the HD remake, there is stuttering that happens as you're, like, kind of progressing through your running and, and different screens, which I don't know if that's on the PS2 version. It's definitely on the HD remake and uh, does not make it for a fun gameplay in that respect. And then as far as, like, cinematics, I thought they were great, actually, the cinematic breakdowns. So... Um, you open up in the bathroom with this looking in the mirror and that whole cinematic component when you first see the lady that's in the graveyard and that mm -hmm. cinematic that comes up. I do like that whenever you are at a safe point, it's like, oh, yeah, it's, it feels like somebody's like probing my mind type of deal. Like that in itself is like pretty creepy, like kind of tells you like, hey, there's things going on like mentally here. They're going to screw with you. And then um, the cinematic piece that we saw as well for, like, your first encounter with one of the creatures, and you're picking up, like, this plank of wood, and it's, like, slowly rising to attack you. But what was hilarious is that we couldn't figure out how to swing it first, so it's hold down R2 and then hit X, but the damn thing wouldn't attack us. It's just sitting there. And Ryan's like, well, it's not very dangerous. Uh, you know, as we're trying to figure out what the controls are. Like, I was wondering if you would pause the game right. to look for controls. It was like, didn't even matter. It wouldn't do anything to you. Yeah. Um, that was one thing I despised about this game. It was super slow with the action of, like, hitting things and the ability to sway side to side. So it was like, oh, yeah, you want to try and avoid uh, as they spit out acid from their mouth. I'm like, okay, like, how easy is that to do it's not easy at all you had a you strafe know? you could strafe yeah but like the strafing wasn't that solid yeah. like it was like this wide ass turn when you're trying to strafe half the time so really slow and clunky with the controls overall um you know and uh, the story component does seem good right like you're you're trying to find your wife etc cetera, etc cetera. kind of like the first one right the first one is you're trying to find your daughter so it's somebody Somehow Everybody makes their way lost to, in Silent Hill. People get lost in Silent Hill. I, I don't understand why the daughter went there. The wife one is dumb, though, because it's like she's been dead for however long now. And then he gets a letter. But, like, if you literally saw her die, you saw her buried and all this other stuff, and then a letter comes. like It's spooky, man. Who and knows? then And then you're like this foggy town. You have to play all the way through to find out. And you out. get the warning. Yeah, I know. I get it. You got to find out. He probably dies at the end. All right. So... Brass tacks on this one. I looked it up. All right, cool. Uh, we have a... Do you want me to read this version and you read the HD remake one? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so PS2 version. Complete in box is 120. Peaked at 135.20 in October of last year. 
that is trending slightly up. A loose copy on the PS2 right now will run you 83 bucks. Peaked at 10470 uh, in April of this year. That's trending down. Uh, and then we've got the digital console, $29.99 on the Xbox 360, uh, which is the HD collection. Uh, which is what we played, except we played the PS3 version. So yeah. currently the Silent Hill HD collection for PlayStation 3. Uh, loose copy will run you 1611 and that peaked uh, back right after it came out at 3350 in March of 2012. And then the uh, complete inbox currently is 1801 and that peaked at 2998 back in April 2013. So this is uh, definitely a lot cheaper <laughs> than buying the original. I don't know exactly what the differences are or why people might prefer the PlayStation 2 version. Like maybe it would, you know, just wasn't the best remake or HD up version. I mean, the graphics and everything look just fine in it. Uh, I can't imagine it controls any worse than the PS2 version. Like if the PS2 version controls way better somehow and I'm wrong, maybe that's why. But, um, you know, this is a much more affordable avenue to try to get this game. It has two games in one. It's a legendary title uh, that a lot of people have a lot of fond memories for and probably replay around this time of year every year, I would imagine. Um, I would say that this is definitely uh, worth getting, I think, at 18 bucks yeah, for I mean, it. I would say it's deflated at that price point. Like 18 bucks, you're getting two games, two classic titles of the Silent Hill franchise. Especially I, when they're selling the Xbox digital one for 30. Yeah, I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? Like if you, if you can find this version, I mean, I think, I don't know what the Xbox 360 version goes for. It's probably about the same uh, in terms of price on the PS3. But if you can find this game for 20 bucks, like that's totally worth it to pick it up versus 120 right now for a, a copy of the PS2 version. I get that there's people online and it'll say, hey, you know, just emulate the original version. Okay, but now you got to figure out, like, if you don't have emulators, now you figure out, okay, I got to, you know, get whatever systems and download and find ROMs and all the other crap that goes to it. And it's never even perfect getting an emulation anyways of PS2 games. Yeah, it'll so, be interesting to see what happens with the prices here when the remake comes out. Because, yeah. you know, will that increase the price of the older version since, you know, it'll be you know, just another copy out there, but people will still want to go back and play those older ones? Or, you know, will it be so much better that there's no reason to go back and buy this old one for 20 bucks when that one will be 20 bucks in a couple of years? Well, I mean, it depends on the quality of the remake first and foremost. And then, you know, is there anything that's been removed, anything added uh, to that remake? Uh, so I think that's the big piece there. When you look at the PS2 version, it's the collector nostalgia component. So, you know, you're talking original box art, original manual, all that type of stuff. The new one's not going to have a manual, most likely. Um, it might have a collector's edition, which if it does, then I could see that being a reason to buy that game. Um, I mean, there's a good reason to buy it anyways, because hopefully they, you know, fix the controls <laughs> in the remake. Um, but yeah, I think this will stay up. Uh, I don't see this going down, but I don't really see it skyrocketing either when a new one comes out it might maybe we'll settle. revisit and find out yeah maybe we revisit down the road and find out but for now i think the ps2 version is definitely inflated at that price point i would not pay that but i would buy a an hd version of the two and three nice yeah all right so we could probably put that as um deflated i would think on the rating Ooh, so spooky. the next game that we're playing um 
we we promise we do have it lined up. Uh, I'm thinking probably Castlevania Four might be the next one we play. Sounds good. Yeah, I think that'll be a good one. All right. Well, this has been episode two fifty four of the Game of Players podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening. <laughs>